tonight is the beginning of the Jewish High Holy Days. It's Rosh Hashanah, which begins at sunset and marks the beginning of the new year in the Jewish calendar, in this case, the year 5870. The month of Tishrei, which begins tomorrow, is full of holidays, the most sacred of which are the week between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Legend says that in these 10 days, the high holidays, God opens the book of life to record the virtues and sins of each person for the year. While the book of life is open, there is an opportunity to atone. When the high holidays come to an end at Yom Kippur, the book is closed for another year. Critically, and, and this is what today's sermon was supposed to be about, there is a strand in Jewish theology that says that before you can atone and ask forgiveness of God on uh, Yom Kippur, you must, uh, you must ask forgiveness from those whom you have harmed and make atonement for the ills you have done them. That's what the story this morning was about. That is not what today's conversation is about. Although if you want to look for meaning shared by the high holy days and what I'm about to talk about, it's, it's there. This is actually not a sermon. I'm not wearing a stole. And if you're visiting for the first time this morning, it's going to sound a like a lot of inside baseball. <laughs> but it's important that we talk about this. Uh, and this begins with a letter that Linda Brown and I received on Monday. So on Monday morning, Linda Brown and I, Linda in her um, capacity as last year's congregational president, received the following letter from the Unitarian Universalist Association. It reads, Dear Linda and Oscar, I wanted to let you know that the executive committee of the Ministerial Fellowship Committee met on Wednesday, September 19th, 2019, with the Reverend Dr. Justin Osterman to discuss a series of serious complaints regarding his behavior as a minister and as a supervisor. After questioning and hearing from him, the executive committee voted to move towards a fellowship review and re removal from fellowship because of a pattern of conduct unbecoming a minister. Prior to sharing this recommendation with the full committee, the Reverend Dr. Osterman resigned his fellowship, effective immediately. I would appreciate hearing back that you have received this email. If you have any further questions, please feel free to be in touch with me. Sincerely, Reverend David Petit, Ministerial Credentialing Director, Unitarian Universalist Association. There is a lot to be said about a letter that takes up less than half a page. Over the last year, 12 months since last September, lay leadership of this congregation and I have been involved in a disciplinary process regarding Justin Osterman's behavior while at this congregation and others. And because it has been an ongoing investigation, we have been constrained about talking about it directly. So I apologize that you are hearing this for the first time now. 
with this decision and the receipt of this letter, it is no longer an ongoing investigation. So now we'll talk about it. The Nigerian author, Chimamanda Adichie, in her talks about the danger of a single story, says that one of the most important words in any language is the word secondly. Because the word secondly is what tells you when the story begins. Start the story with the arrows of the Native Americans, she writes, and not with the arrival of the British, and you have an entirely different story. Start the story with the failure of the African state and not with the colonial creation of the African state, and you have an entirely different story. The story that ends with the letter that I received on Monday is an entirely different story depending on where it starts. It's a different story for our longtime members for whom Justin Osterman's one year, one year in a long history of relationship with this church. It is a different story for those who were deeply wounded by his actions whose relationship to the church changed fundamentally in 2015. And it is a different story for those of us who joined this community after Justin left it and who have observed the effects without witnessing the cause. <coughs> for me, the story begins in the spring of 2017 when I logged onto the search website of the Unitarian Church of Lincoln for the first time. And on the timeline of congregational history, this was the entry for 2015 and 2016. 2015, the board made a decision to not renew Reverend Osterman's interim ministry for a second year. In his final report to the spring congregational meeting, Reverend Osterman presented his view that the congregation does not reward direct communication on difficult subjects and has discomfort with authority and setting behavioral boundaries. He recommended that the church's organizational structure be revised and that a strategic staffing assessment be undertaken along with a thorough review of financial processes. 2016, the next year on the timeline, Listening circles were held to clarify the experiences of the board, staff, and general congregation in regard to the decision to not renew Reverend Dr. Osterman's interim ministry for a second year. Cottage meetings were held from January to March to gather information to be used by the fair witnesses to form the vision, mission, big thing, and covenant. I spoke to Reverend Osterman that spring as part, of, as part of my interview process of coming here. And one of the things that was most disconcerting to me in that entire process was the disconnect between the, congreg the congregation that he described on the phone to me and the one that I experienced. And over the first year I was here, I came to the gradual but clear understanding that what happened in the 2014-15 congregation was 
not a simple case of a poor match between a congregation and a minister, but a case of professional misconduct on the part of Justin Osterman as interim minister. Over the course of months, Justin Osterman belittled and harassed members of this church, both volunteer and staff. His term as interim minister was rightly not extended by the Board of Trustees in 2015. And the Reverend Dr. Gretchen Woods spent two years between Osterman's time here and mine, helping the congregation to talk and heal after what happened. Last September, one year ago, Linda and I received an email from a staff member at the Unitarian Church of Raleigh, North Carolina, where Justin Osterman was serving as a developmental minister. The staff member had was about to leave their position, due in part to Justin's behavior, and was reaching out to congregations that Justin had served in the past to see if what they were observing in Raleigh was a pattern of behavior. The process that grew out of that first email has taken a full year. And while the confidentiality of an ongoing investigation has meant that I and other members of leadership haven't been able to talk much about executive committee, myself, and members of the board have spent considerable time and energy on this in the last 12 months. So to be clear, Justin Osterman has inherent worth and dignity. We say that about everybody, and we mean it in every case. There are no exceptions to that. And regardless of his faults, he did good ministry here and in other places he served. Justin is a talented preacher. I have learned things from watching videos of him preaching. He was also present with families in this congregation, caring for them through the loss of a loved one or the birth of a child. but we should make no mistake. The behavior that he showed towards staff and lay leadership here was professional misconduct. The summary of complaints developed um, as part of this process by the UUA reads as follows. The complaints against Reverend Osterman were all focused on his treatment of staff with common emphasis on the following behaviors. Creating a hostile work environment through bullying and intimidation. Tyrannical use of authority. And misogyny and marginalization of people and or women of color. This behavior violates the code of conduct that both Justin and I promise to abide by. It is not just bad behavior, it is unacceptable behavior. The 
the Unitarian Universalist Association, of which we are a part, has a defined process for heal hearing formal complaints. This is the process that we've been going through over the last year. So when a complaint is submitted to the Safe Congregations Office in Boston at UUA headquarters, Safe Congregations staff do an initial investigation to determine if the complaint is credible. If they determine that it is, they then inform the leadership of each congregation involved assign advocates to each person submitting a complaint, and refer the complaint to an uh, outside investigator. In this case, we reached that step on January 4th of last winter, when re we received a letter from the Ministerial Fellowship Committee informing us, quote, we have received nine complaints to date from lay leaders and staff members who worked with Reverend Osterman in a variety of capacities. Three of these complaints stemmed from your congregation. There were nine complaints from three total congregations. Soon afterwards, after that letter, Justin Osterman was placed on administrative leave by the Unitarian Universalist Church in Raleigh and about two months later let go. In the UUA process, the investigator then gathers formal statements from each complainant, as well as the person accused of misconduct. While the investigator can, and in this case did, make a recommendation, formal action can only be taken by the Ministerial Fellowshipping Committee. That committee, the MFC, meets quarterly, and it was that quarterly meeting last week that resulted in the committee moving towards removing Reverend Osterman's fellowship. Unitarian Universalism. We do not, as a general rule, defrock ministers. This is theological for us. Ordination is a right held by the local congregation. So all of you voted to ordain me. That is the thing that causes me to be ordained. And so that can't be removed unless the congregation that ordains you then goes back and votes to remove that ordination. In 200-odd years, I, I don't know of a case where that's happened. What disfellowshipping, though, means is similar in some ways. Ministers who are not in fellowship are ineligible to enter into the search process to serve UU congregations. And if asked, the denomination will likely tell references that Reverend Osterman resigned rather than have his fellowship removed for conduct unbecoming a minister. So that is where we are today. I know that this is particularly hard here in Lincoln because for at least some people in this congregation, this step should have happened four years ago. When Justin's ministry in Lincoln was not extended for a second year, members of this congregation wrote to the UUA explaining the situation and requesting that the denomination take steps to ensure that what happened to our staff and our lay leaders not happen to others. And I, I want to say that I share your grief and anger 
that that did not happen. Over the last six months, I have tried hard to learn what happened to cause Lincoln's 2015 complaint not to reach the safe compilation department UUA. This is what I spent most of General Assembly working on this summer. And after conversations with the Transitions Department, Safe Congregations, regional staff members, and Reverend Woods, I do not have a good answer yet. But I intend to keep asking until I do. Misconduct is about power. And misconduct is about trust. Clergy are enormous trust in our culture. I can walk into just about any hospital room in Lincoln, in this city, from locked floors to the ICU, and just hand my business card to the charge nurse as I walk in, almost without breaking stride. When I was thinking of going to seminary years ago, I, I asked my aunt, a retired minister, why she did this job for so many years. And she told me because it's an honor to be invited into people's lives and be present for the holiest moments in a person's life. And I think most of us in this career would say some version of that, that we are present in the most joyous and the most vulnerable parts of people's lives. And what that presence requires is implicit trust. If I walk into the hospital room to see a person that I see every Sunday morning dressed to the nines, and on that particular day they're in a hospital gown and five IVs, I need to know and they need to know that in that moment I am a safe presence in that room. And, and we don't individually earn that trust. I don't pretend that I individually have earned that trust in what, 25 months that I've been here. We do over time, but a lot of it depends on trust in the office that we hold. And so each minister, every one of us, has a responsibility to be deserving of the trust that is granted to our profession. When one of us abuses it, it diminishes the calling for all of us. One of the places that we hold that trust is in our professional association, the Unitarian Universalist Ministers Association. The UUMA is independent of the broader Unitarian Universalist Association, but as a body, it is the Ministers Association that votes on what our code of conduct will be. And over the past five to 10 years, there's been a greater focus on the persistence of ministerial misconduct in Unitarian Universalism than there has been in the past. And I'm happy to tell you that over the last two years, the Minister's Association has engaged in a comprehensive update and revision of our code of conduct. While it's not yet final, the Minister's Association voted on a 
on a preliminary motion at our conference in June. Um, and we will vote on the final language next spring at our annual business meeting. Now, um, because it's 2019 and Google is a thing, I need to say this. Um, if you research the guidelines revisions process that the Ministerial Association is working on, you will find onto an open letter last spring expressing concerns about some of the proposed changes in the code of conduct. That is a longer conversation than we have time for this morning and I'm happy to talk to anybody one-on-one -on -one about that. But what I can say now that I couldn't clearly say last June because of the ongoing investigation is this. My concerns are directly related to the strengths and weaknesses of the process I've been a part of over the last year. So please do not misunderstand this sentence. I support strongly updating and strengthening the code of conduct. And while 90% of the proposed revisions are long overdue, I am a little worried that two or three areas that in two or three areas, the new language creates ambiguity that wasn't there before. Misconduct like this also matters, not for the impact that it has on ministers or our profession, but also the harm that it does to churches, to communities. We are a covenantal people. Our congregations depend on, on members being in community with each other. And one of the more subtle and dangerous parts of misconduct is this. The experience that different people have with the same minister doesn't match up. For some, Justin was a talented preacher and a person who was with them in the hardest moments of their lives. And for others, Justin was the hardest moment of their life. And both can be true at once. And it is hard, almost impossible for any community to hold such incongruent and seemingly contradictory truths together. And so often in churches that have experienced misconduct, we see that in anger and mistrust by congregants towards one another. So what is the path forward for us here at the Unitarian Church of Lincoln? Here's what we're not going to do. We are not going to relitigate Justin's ministry at this church. Aside from the process the UUA just went through, we had listening sessions here. We've had a complaint process that has moved through. And we know that there are multiple experiences of Justin as a person here. We are also not going to disclose who from this congregation filed formal complaints. Each of the people that did has shown tremendous grace and tremendous dignity over the last year. And after a very long process, we are going to give them the space to engage in whatever way they want in this community. It is not my story to tell. 
who submitted complaints and who didn't. If they choose to, that is their choice. You should also know that over the last two years, we've talked about this before, over the last two years, we've spent our time updating our congregation's bylaws, our personnel policies, our safety policy. I can say now that that wasn't an accident. Our bylaws now explicitly require the minister of this church to the minister's association and abide by its code of conduct. We've strengthened the personnel committee going through all of our personnel policies. Our safety policy lays out a clear procedure for making a complaint regarding anyone behaving inappropriately, including volunteer or paid leadership. All of these documents are available on our, our public website. We've also now had recent experience with the Unitarian Universalist Association Safe Congregations process. The denomination has a phone number and an email address to submit complaints to. Complaints that we can say honestly are taken seriously and are adjudicated through a process that prioritizes the dignity and choices of victims while still being transparent about the process. So I know this might be a lot to take in on a single Sunday morning. It's not what most of you expected to hear this morning. It wasn't the blurb <laughs> in the newsletter that we sent out. It is not what I thought I was preaching on. But going forward, we're going to do whatever we need to do in order to move forward in healthy ways as a community. And so if we need to hold sessions where we listen to each other in the complexity of this, then we'll do that. If we need to bring in somebody from the denomination to explain the process and what the steps were that they took and they are taking now, we'll do that too. And I also wanna say, as I said to the search committee, that, that this does not define who the congregation is. And so we are still going to do all the things that we were planning on doing this year. We're not gonna let this slow down the good and healthy work that's happening in this place. More than the, the practical responses, this is what I want you to hear. When I talk to the search committee about Justin Osterman's ministry, we talked about what defines us as individuals and as a community. This is part of the congregation's history. It was literally of the search packet that I looked at. But it is not the only part of the congregation's history or its culture. Justin did a lot of harm to individuals at this church. But, speaking as me, one of the most infuriating things in this whole process that he did was to describe this congregation, this congregation, as fundamentally broken. We're not able to have conversations about difficult subjects 
or to move in healthy patterns? No. <laughs> No, because the, the Unitarian Church of Lincoln that I know, that I have fallen in love with, is a place of possibility where we ask every week, every week we come together, we ask, what can we do together in this place? It's a place of hope in a cynical time a place of love when hatred seems to be the language of our culture. I've watched members step up to cover pledges not their own. I've watched staff members drop what they're doing to drive somebody to the hospital. This is a place that, that my kid <laughs> and many others knows as home as well as she does her own house because it is a place where she is safe and cared for. And if this is your first time here, if you're visiting this Sunday and this is the first sermon you're hearing me give, that's the, that's the Unitarian Church of Lincoln that I know. So during the High Holy Days, the Book of It is a time of atonement and asking forgiveness. It is also the beginning of the new year. On Rosh Hashanah, folks celebrate by eating apples dipped in honey. And that is to remind us that life is not just bitter herbs, but that life is sweet. So may your new year be sweet and our community blessed. Amen.